hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. And here we go. Line ball to start this game. Jeremy Loblotsky and John Morassi teeing off on one another. The Toporowski is just pounding away at Robinson. These, we said Toporowski, this is the guy who set a Western Hockey League record for 505 penalty minutes. Well, it's called like it is. Toporowski's a boon. Getting closer. He reaches in a right right back. He's not that Griffin. He's just fought. Stu Griffin. Oh, my goodness. Scott Parker for the KO of Stu Griffin. He- this is one of the best hockey fights we have seen in a long time. Bush tells the linesman, get the heck out of my kitchen. All right, Dexter. He absolutely decked Jim Crate with a wild right. Bashir staggered by a big left hand. On a penalty shot. Score! Blue guard down the wing. Blue guard pulls away. Score! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode number 61 of the Five for Fighting podcast. My name is Alec, your host, and this is the show where we focus on the players who drop the gloves and the fans who enjoyed watching them do it. Today, we will be going over the top 10 enforcers in NHL history. I know it's going to be a very controversial list, I'm sure, and I'm you know, I'm going to ruffle some feathers because somebody's favoritist wasn't on there, but I think I got a pretty solid list up there. And before we get into it, I'll go over kind of what the, the, the ground rules were, excuse me, the ground rules rules were, easy for me to say, <laughs> the ground rules were for going over the list and kind of where, why some guys might not be in it that some people think should be in it. Um, but before we get into that, I got to mention, of course, the Five for Fighting podcast is now a proud member of Six Pack Media Coverage, a brand new starter company coming out of Nashville. I was fortunate enough to sign with them. I made the announcement last week. Uh, they are starting to sign on more and more podcasts as every day goes by. So I'm, I'm thankful that they, uh, you know, reached out to me and signed me on for the hockey aspect of, the, of some of their media. So they go over, you know, MLB, NBA, uh, NFL, college football. So plenty of stuff to go over. They even have some with, I think they've got a fitness podcast coming down the pipeline too. So um, I encourage you to go to the website and check out a bunch of different shows. If you just type in six pack coverage spelled out regularly, um, if you search it in the, uh, you know, your web browser, it'll come up and you can go through the entertainment section. My picture is now up there for meet the team. And, um, you know, given the podcast, I wanted to make sure I wasn't fooling anybody. So I, I had my, my picture taken or I, I took it with a little webcam or whatever, but I have the Curtis, uh, Cowboy Swanson, LNH, some of them Chiefs jersey or St. Jean Chiefs, however you want to say it. Um, Chiefs jersey on. I wanted to make sure people know exactly what they're getting. The bar is set pretty high with some LNH fights, right? Um, no, I kid, but I, I think it's a, you know, that was a good representation of the show as far as like, you know, we ain't here to talk about the power play or anything like that. So, um, I encourage you to go check out six pack coverage and, uh, you know, find if you want to get your fix in, that's not just hockey. They have plenty of shows to go around and they also have plenty coming down the pipeline. I know they're signing more people, um, each week, I think. So looking forward to see what the future holds for that. Like I said, I announced it last week that I got signed with them. So thank you again to Andrew who uh, reached out to me and, got the ball rolling on everything so looking forward to see or see excuse me seeing where everything goes um and you know before we get into it got to mention the other usual suspects the ones who aren't on the uh part of the six-pack coverage one of them being darren over the fourth line voices with the hockey podcast network 
Um, you know, Darren's the OG, the original Enforcer based podcast, and he has done numerous interviews beforehand. Um, you know, he's still coming out with content now. I think all of us, me, him, and Joe, and I'll mention Joe here in a second. I think all of us are kind of at that standstill point because it's getting towards the holidays and everybody's so busy and you don't want to uh, interrupt people and, uh, you know, have to do a quick, short 20 minute interview because I think all of our shows like to do a deep dive into that. But of course, he's had episodes with John Morassi, Joey Tedarenko, Steve McIntyre, Chris Waltz, Dan Kopeck. The list goes on for him. Um, and he's got a great YouTube channel as well. So I encourage you to go check out Fourth Line Voice. And of course, Joe Lazito over at the Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box, as you could tell by that name. He is an Islanders based enforcer uh, podcast. So anybody with the farm teams, anybody that has come up through the Islander system, he has had them on, or he will talk about them and interview them, and it's always the tough guys. Great catalog as well. I had like a five-part saga with Trevor Gillies. I'll, 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 prob- I'll probably say that every time because it's just insane that he's got like so many parts with Trevor Gillies. Great interview too, by the way, because uh, Gillies is awesome, and Joe does a fantastic job. He just interviewed... I think it was somebody for the Riptide. I apologize. I'm a little bit behind on my podcast because I was on the... As you guys know, I was on a hunting trip uh, this past weekend out in Utah. Got a couple ducks. It was great, but the uh, the weather wasn't cooperating. Of course, the weekend I leave, or the you know the week I leave, I, I left yesterday, got back yesterday, and um, <laughs> this coming weekend is supposed to be really great weather for duck hunting. It was all right while I was there. It was I, I got my fix of cold weather, so that was nice. I uh, wish it was colder, but um, yeah, the week I leave is when all the all the ducks are going to be flying because they're getting a big cold front coming in. It's going to get down to like nine degrees out there. So, oh man, wish I would have went next weekend, but you, of course you can't tell the weather that far out. I think about my plane ticket for that back in July but no it was a great time I got a green wing teal and a drake um, pintail so it was it was great um, but yes go check out Joe and fourth line voice as well as six pack coverage over there um, you can find them all on social media and I encourage you to also check out my YouTube channel I have just started recently been uploading a lot of ECHL fights as a lot of people know that I uh, have gotten into the ECHL this year with the Florida Everblades so um, I have that little the Flow Sports app or whatever where I can check out all the games, and so I'll go back and check box scores afterwards and upload the fights. If it's a you know a, a little two punch jab and they fall down, I'm not uploading that. It's not worth my time. But if it's you know a, a halfway decent fight, I'll upload it. So um, I encourage you to go check that out, and you can check it out at Five for Fighting Podcast on YouTube. Just search it up, and it'll be there. But um, we will start to get into the list here. Um, so as you know by the title, top ten NHL enforcers. So the baseline for this. And I, I know people are going to be, you know, motherfucking me, I'm sure, even though I, they're going to see the list, maybe listen to one or two, and they're going to skip this entire intro, and I'm still going to get motherfucked for it, but oh well. So basically, the, how the list goes, so in hockey, I believe, and if you ask certain fight fans, I think they could agree, or enforcer fans, there is a difference between being a good fighter and a good enforcer. There's plenty of guys who are great fighters, but I think to really be a good enforcer, you had to take on a whole different level. Um, it was a whole different role. At the time, especially all early on um, in hockey, so it's, it's more so the people who would really, if if they needed to get their point across, they would. Um, you know, they had no issue taking a suspension. Um, you know, there was no, oh, good fight, bro. Can't wait to work out with you in the summer after that. No, these guys were there for a, a reason and one reason only, and that was to protect the star players and protect guys on the team through means of enforcement. And just to get it clear here of what the enforcer definition is, I'll pull it up. I had it. Um, I had it on here last, last, uh, was it last episode, I think, but just to reiterate it. Um, so enforcer, this is dictionary.com info. This is the informal definition of it from in sports. 
<clears throat> a strong, aggressive, or intimidating player whose role is to protect, excuse me, to, is whose role is to protect teammates or dominate an area of field of play. Um, so you can definitely tell that it's not just about being a fighter; it's to impose their will, be scary, get a message across, and that's the whole purpose of an enforce. That's where the name enforce comes from. That's why I think it's gotten. Um, like you see, like it's gotten lost through translation here, and I think uh, I know Darren wants to do a deep dive onto that, and I'm really looking forward to him doing an episode about uh, kind of the role of enforcers and the code into it, because the code honestly kind of killed enforcers as time went on. They got too nice, and um, I know people look at it, and that's and the whole idea of fighting has gotten so misconstrued because of that. So you look at it now, and everybody thinks every fight should have a high five and you know, everything should be mic'd up with good luck and blah, blah, blah. And I, I know that kind of started with George LaRock, which nothing against George. Uh, George LaRock was a fantastic fighter, but, I, you know, he's the product of that going on. When he, he was the whole mic'd up, I think it was versus Evenins. It was when the Coyotes played, I think, the Kings. And he was, you know, oh, uh, square up, you know, good luck, bro, or whatever. And that was kind of the, everybody loves it, which, I mean, yeah, it's cool to hear it mic'd up. But at the same time, um, that, that part of enforcing is where it kind of started getting away from the actual term enforcer so these are guys on here on this list none of them were sitting there for a good fight and you know good luck bro <laughs> that's not what these guys are there for so we'll dive right into it number 10 we have john ferguson um and for some listening who might not even know who the hell john ferguson is he is known as the original enforcer in the nhl and this was back in like the 60s when he was employed by the montreal canadians and he was kind of the first player to ever come in and really be assigned there just as an absolute physical presence. He wasn't there to score goals, which actually he did put up some great point numbers there. Um, I'm going to pull that up here in a second. But he was really the first player to kind of be signed as a tough guy, a policeman on the ice. There nobody, there had been fights in hockey before that. They, uh, they, you know, the whole people would get mad and kind of throw hands after that. And that was big in hockey. And that was, of course, the, the very first NHL game ever ended in a, a bench-clearing brawl. But John Ferguson was kind of the first guy to ever be employed to be specifically that tough guy, that that fighter, that enforcer. So he was signed with the Montreal Canadiens in 1963-64. Um, I shouldn't, shouldn't say he was signed. Oh, yeah, I guess he was. I'm not sure what the AHL affiliation would have been back then. He was with the Cleveland Barons for a little bit, played with actually the Fort Wayne Comets in 59-60. and 60. But, you know, he still put up a great amount of points. He had 125 PIMS, never got over 200 PIMS. Um, I'm sure it was a lot of this is, you know, of course, that a lot of stuff was called a lot differently back then. So put up, you know, 45 points and had 125 PIMS his rookie season with the Montreal Canadiens. So um, I think it would be a shame to not include him on this list. Um, there's honorable mentions, I'm sure. And I, like, you know, a, a lot of people are going to think of Wendell Clark, but I don't put him as a true enforcer. I put Wendell Clark down as more of a power forward who really knew how to fight, kind of like that Cam Neely, Rick Tockett kind of guy. Um, which is funny because Rick Tockett is actually, even though I wouldn't classify him as an enforcer, he's one of the guys in the the top nine uh, 3,000 PIM club. One sec here. All right, there we go. I'm still getting over this little damn cold. I got the sniffles going on, so I apologize. I'm going to have to get some water because I'll be winded here, being a fucking mouth breather. No different than normal, right? So, yes, number 10 I give to John Ferguson because without him, he kind of pioneered the role. And he, he was really the first one to kind of do it. So I feel I would feel like I couldn't leave John Ferguson off this list and it would be uh, it wouldn't be it would be unjust to leave him off, we'll say. So number nine, we have Dave, the cement head Semenko. Uh Dave Semenko, uh great this is this is what I'm talking about when it, in terms of fighting and enforcing. Was Dave Semenko the greatest fighter? 
Eh, no, not really. I don't even think I'd include him in a top 50 list in terms of fighting in the NHL. Was he a great enforcer, though? Absolutely, he was. Um, you know, Wayne Gretzky's came out and said what a great job he did. And the, I, I think, of course, you see Semenko when he was with, uh, you know, uh, the Oilers, and then you have him on Toronto. But I, I'm, I'm talking like prime Oilers Dave Semenko. And Wayne Gretzky has said many times, um, you know, as I just mentioned, that w- what a great job he did. And he was kind of his bodyguard, uh, the precursor to, of course, Marty McSorley. But Dave Semenko, if he had to do some shit to get his point across, he would. And if anybody touched Gretzky, he was there to protect him. Um, and it was talked about, I think Darren just mentioned this because I think Semenko made a top five Oilers list um, in one of his previous episodes. Uh, Darren covered the top five Oil, oh, excuse me, Oilers enforcers or enforcers are tough guys. One of the two. Same, same thing to fucking whatever um but he covered it and kind of said the same thing but like dave Semenko was the guy where if people still wanted to start playing hee-haw with the fuck around gang he'd get around and be like you know are we gonna keep this up or what are we gonna do because we'll go out there and do something stupid real fucking quick um and so everything would kind of quiet down and that's the difference between being a good fighter you can go out and fight but to enforce and really tell the other team to calm the fuck down or else shit's gonna get real really fast um that's the difference. And Dave Semenko was great at that. You know, nobody ever touched Gretzky while he was there, right? So it's really hard to say Dave Semenko wasn't a great enforcer. Again, this is where I think, was he the greatest fighter? No. But in terms of enforcing, he was fantastic. And there was a reason um, he was with Gretzky that entire time. So next up on the list, um, here is a good one. This is a good one of a, a great fighter and a great enforcer is Tony Twist. Tony Twist, big dude. Everybody knows him, and everybody talks about, or excuse me, talks about the whole, oh, he might have done steroids and blah blah blah. And one, a lot of guys did steroids back then, and two, it's never been confirmed. People just say he did because he got big in the summer, which you can absolutely fucking do if you work out right. But a lot of people don't know that. So Tony Twist, big dude. Uh, you know his prime years, I think, were was kind of that like ninety four to two. Was it two thousand? I think he went up to, or was it ninety nine before his uh, motorcycle accident? Um, his second stint with St. Louis was when he really kind of got going on it. And he was, he was solid in Montreal, not Montreal, excuse me. He was solid out in Quebec. Um, it was with the blues at first then went to Quebec and then back to the St. Louis blues. So the Tony twist, absolute big, big dude. And I think one of the biggest things that plays a role into this is if you go back and if you look on, I think it's Darren that has it up, the Tony twist interview on the last gladiators, which is kind of the precursor to ice guardians. The mental role and outlook that Tony Twist had on the enforcer job, it's unreal. Like, people would see him today and think he's a fucking psychopath. So, basically, you know, he's sitting there and he's talking and he says he's going to fuck with the team the entire time. So it's not just, it's not just when, when the puck drops and then, then it's go time. He's fucking with them that entire day. He wants guys to think about fighting him a week in advance. Cause he's like, I'm already on to the next fight. I'm not worried about this guy tonight. I'm already thinking about the next fight. And he'll go there pregame warmups. The other team is on the ice and they're skating. And he says, he'll just take a newspaper out there. He'll go fucking sit on the bench. He'll go do some push ups. get, you know, get the arms pumped and going, hit some weights and then go right out to the fucking opposing team's bench. Or was it it might have been the, the home team. Either way, he goes out to the bench while they're they're sitting there on their pregame skate or uh, pregame um, pra- or the, the practice, the morning skate. And he'll go out there, sit on the bench just to fuck with them, just to let them know that he's there. That's what he does. Like, like, he's just there to let them know that if you guys want to want to play around tonight, Tony Twist is there. And that's not on top of that. He's, of course, he's got Kelly Chase fucking riding shotgun, too. So imagine going into St. Louis, seeing that shit. Not even game time yet, and Tony Twist is already sitting on the bench. He's not saying anything. He's not laughing. He's just, you know, those daggers. And 
the the role he has, and he he says that you know he he fought to win. He wasn't fighting not to lose. He was fighting to win. And again, he was already thinking about the next fight. And I think it was it was a Brett Hull that said it. Um, it was one of the players on the Blues back then. I want to say it was Brett Hull, or it might have even been Kelly Chase. But basically, the 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 quote was. You could put a cardboard cutout of Tony Twist on the St. Louis Blues bench, and the other team wouldn't do a thing. So that's, I mean, again, how many liberties, liberties did you see taken on, on Brett Hull when he was with St. Louis when you got Kelly Chase and Tony Twist? But Tony Twist, towards towards the later end of his career, um, and it said, you know, he, he wasn't getting a lot of fights because dudes were absolutely just scared of him. I mean, because he, he saw what he did to Rob Ray, and um, when he, he wasn't swinging to, you know, throw patty cake and say good fight. This dude was throwing from two states away. He always had that right hand and it would be cocked back and he was trying to, he punched through guys. So I got to put Tony twist on there. Um, I think what elevates Tony twist, cause unfortunately we got to see a prime twister for so little. And I know some people don't like him, but what elevated twist to get on this list um, was the fact that his mental outlook on the role and everything going into it, he embraced it so well that it really put fear into other players. And that was a huge thing. Uh, as to why I put Tony Twist on this list. And not, I mean, he's a, one of my favorites as well. So definitely got to give it up to Tony Twist there at number eight. Number seven, this is a really good one. Uh, kind of a newer school guy. This is, I think this is the newest guy we have on here. Not newer school, but in terms of most recent players, Chris Simon. Chris Simon was a dude, came in with, uh, you know, Quebec and then went over to at the avalanche with them. He actually had a small stint in Chicago and then the Islanders fuck, even when he was on his way out, man, he was still fucking giving it. So, I mean, if you wanted to get a point across and if you wanted to play fuck around on the Islanders, Chris Simon would let you know, he took a skate to Rutu. Now, again, when I'm saying this, is it the most ethical thing or the, the most, uh, I almost say politically correct, but it's the greatest thing to do to some of these guys. No, but that was the game back then. So this is the, like these dudes really had to kind of be almost crazy to fucking do some of this shit. Right. So one sec here. There we go. So Chris Simon, like I said, newer school guy. And I, again, newer school is used very loosely. I want, I can't remember when he stopped playing. I mean, he played at the KHL for a little bit too. Um, actually, I should pull up his stats here on my phone. But I remember he, I, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, was it Hathaway? That he, he fucking two-handed right across the face um, when he was playing with the Islanders and they were playing New York, I think it was. And then, like I said, he put a skate to Rutu um, just to, get out of the other player's skin, man. So Chris Simon was fucking crazy. Um, that's right. Yeah, he did play in the KHL. So, yeah, he stopped playing in the NHL back in 07. I, I thought it was a little bit later. I thought it was 11 that he stopped playing, but that was with the KHL. But, yeah, he uh, Chris Simon was a bad dude. He had the, lo the long hair. Like, and like Everybody called him, like, you know, Undertaker and whatever. So it was um, – oh, no, it was Ryan Howling. Sorry, not Hathaway. It was Ryan Howling is who he uh, Hathaway might even be a newer school guy. I'm getting all my, all these players mixed up. I don't know many of the new players or even, <laughs> you know, especially New York. So uh, Chris Simon, two hands, Ryan Howling, that's what it was. And absolutely two hands him right across the face. Howling took a liberty on him, ran him from behind, and sat there. He went over to him, two-handed him right across the face. Um, now, again, if you saw that today, I mean, people would be in absolute shock and horror. Um, the other one, like I said, he stepped on Yark, Yarko Rutu's ankle. So... There is uh there's plenty of Simon shenanigans to go down and he was a bad dude, man. Simon I think is kind of underrated as a fighter as well. So um I had to throw Chris Simon on the list. That's one you could probably interchange with a couple people, but I, I wanted to throw him on there to get kind of a newer ish guy. So I think Chris Simon is a really solid um uh, excuse me, solid pick for number seven. 
At number six, we have Chris Knuckles Nylon. So Chris Nylon, as many of you know, is one of my favorite players of all time, um, if not my favorite player of all time. Um, but Chris Chris Nylon was a dude who, great player as well. And uh, again, this is that category of, is he the greatest fighter of all time? No, as much as I would love to say he is, no. Um, but I, I put him up there in terms of enforcement. Um, he did it for a long time, really solo out in Montreal. And... Um, he wasn't a bad fighter at all. He actually stuck McSorley really good. He had some, excuse me, put down uh, Terry O'Reilly. Always had that great rivalry with Jay Miller. And I think it was Steve from when Probert was King.com who mentioned that, uh, you know, Nyland might have single-handedly re- rekindled the, the old rivalry between Boston and Montreal because he was going around taking liberties until Jay Miller got there. And then Jay Miller kind of started doing some of the lifting and uh, taking care of Nyland a bit and fighting him and keeping him under control because it was really Nyland – uh, had free free range on the on the Bruins there for a while, so um, you know another tough dude. He was a guy who had to do some some shit sometimes, like uh, in the fight with O'Reilly where he puts down O'Reilly. He ran, I want to say he ran the goalie before that, and Nyland didn't give a shit. He'll start shit. He started that stuff in the hall to get his point across. To, the you know the the brawl in the hall as they called it out at Boston Garden. And he had uh, the butt end on Rick Middleton, which I think he's gone down to say that it wasn't his proudest moment. He kind of regrets that. But when you're embracing a role and you got to be a mean motherfucker like that, and especially when you're riding solo, you got to let people know you're a little bit crazy because he had Corey there for a little bit out in Montreal. But really, for the most part, he was riding solo out there. Um, there was no number two guy. So he ended up taking out Rick Middleton with a butt end of the stick. And uh, it was brutal. It used to be on YouTube, but um, when Steve... When Steve lost his YouTube, I think he was the one who had the clip up there. I tried to look for it the other day while I was making this list just to just to take a peek at it again. But um, unfortunately, YouTube shut down Steve's profile for no apparent reason at all, which is a, a fucking shame. So um, that's unfortunate. But yeah, Chris Island, you can check out his, his documentary, The Last Gladiators. It was like I said, it was the precursor to Ice Guardians. And Nyland did a great job, man, um, throughout his career. He was like I said, he was always undersized, but he would he would do some shit if he wanted to fuck around and find out against island i forget who it was he was taking somebody was taking liberties with um was it lafleur and i mean nylon absolutely fucking pummeled this dude um let me try to find that damn clip where was it it'd be it was it was a great like it was the most prime example of enforcement um i want to say it was lafleur somebody was taking liberties and sticked lafleur and then after that nylon saw that uh, and he just absolutely piss pumped the guy, and that's the enforcer uh, side of it, man. It's like there's a difference between being a good fighter and then the enforcer, and that's what this whole list is about. And I'm just trying to reiterate that as I go on through this list because I know a lot of people are going to be like, "Well, George the Rock was a great fighter, Derek Bugard, and blah blah blah." And so, I, believe me, I know I'm not saying these the guys left off this list weren't great fighters. I'm just saying that these guys were great enforcers because, like I said, there's a difference. So. Um, I just keep reiterating that because I know somebody's going to end up motherfucking me. Yeah, I just had to go back and look it up. It was Don Jackson on the Oilers who uh, Chris Island really got his point across to. It was uh, he took a took some liberties on the on the Canadians, and then next thing you know, Island comes in and just dummies them. So um, definitely, I got to give it to Chris Island there as number six on the list. So we will move on, and we will hit up number. Five and no surprise he's on this list of course Dave the Hammer Schultz what more can you say about Dave Schultz I think um, you know we talked about earlier how John Ferguson kind of pioneered the enforcer role but Dave Schultz is the one who really started the arms race and the Broad Street Bullies of course you know I'm not pretending that there wasn't other guys out on the Flyers but Dave Schultz probably being the biggest name to come out of there um, in terms of fighting and going crazy and you know that was the last time 
the uh, the Flyers would ever be messed with, uh, is what Ed Snyder said when they got liberties taken against the St. Louis Blues, and that's when they employed Dave the Hammer Schultz to come in, and he really kind of took the league by storm. Absolutely, everybody absolutely hated him, and they brought him in to to protect Bobby Clark and. Um, you know, Dave Schultz was a dude that you're not getting any any good fights. He'll hit you when you're down. He'll pull your hair. I th- I forget there's a there's a fight picture out there. I think Fourth Line Voice might have it. Um, but yeah, there's a fight picture out there, and it's Dave Schultz literally pulling somebody's hair in a fight. You know, there was no fucking code back then. The code bullshit was non-existent with these guys. So, you know, Dave Schultz, like like I said, it started the arms race with. I don't even think you'd have some of these other guys on this list without having a Dave Schultz. So I put him in right there at number five. I don't think he was the greatest enforcer, nor was he ever really the greatest fighter, but he definitely um, needs to be mentioned in the top ten for enforcement. Um, so I, I had to put him just there at the number five spot. I didn't quite put him in the top uh, the top three. Although the top three you could probably interchange once we get to him. But that being said, I think Dave Schultz definitely needs to be in the top 10 enforcer list because without him, you wouldn't have any possibly any of these other guys because, like I said, he started the arms race. And Dave Schultz, what more can you say about him? Uh, he, he was called the hammer for a reason. So got to give it to Dave Schultz there at number five. Moving on, number four, Marty McSorley. And again, not the greatest fighter, although McSorley could definitely hold his own. I'd probably put him in the top 30 list. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I'd have to really do some do some thinking about it for in terms of fighters but marty mcsorley um another dude really embraced the role almost like tony twist but he was uh if you want to go check out the blueprint of the enforcer role go to the uh the ice guardian or excuse me i keep saying ice guardians now the last gladiators extra of the marty mcsorley interview and he was talking about i think it was um who was it was it doug doug evans out in winnipeg that's who it was uh and i thought about it is the greatest enforcement like example you'll ever see. Um, he talks about it in there and basically Doug Evans was running around on, I think it was with the Kings at the time. I don't even think it was with the Oilers, but this was of course when Gretzky and Marty went over to the Kings, which again, that's another testament to Marty McSorley as to how good of an enforcer he was that Wayne Gretzky himself wanted Marty McSorley included with the trade over to the Los Angeles Kings. So if that doesn't tell you all you need to know, I don't know what does, but we'll get into it more. Um, so if you go look at the the video, just look up Marty McSorley, Doug Evans, and you'll see it on YouTube there. And Evans was taking taking liberties on Gretzky and taking liberties with the Oilers. And so finally he ended up two-handing Marty, I think. And that was Marty, that was his last fucking straw. Wires crossed. He gets Evans down, and I mean he lays down and he hits him fucking hard. Like he cocks it. Like Evans is down on the ice, kind of looking up. And Marty comes back, you know, from like two states away throws a fucking right hand down on him. I think he might have even thrown two now that I think about it. Um, let me pull up the video here just for shits and gigs while I'm talking. But I mean that's that's what an enforcer does. That's what they do. So if you're gonna be if you're gonna play stupid and take liberties, then uh <laughs> it's gonna happen. And I know Marty McSorley was big on actually like uh he wanted to trade punches instead and he, he talks about that in the the documentary interview as well where he He'd get he'd almost get mad if guys would try to seatbelt because he's trying to get it. He's you know like I said he's trying to get the point across. He's trying to enforce. And if guys would sit there and seatbelt, he'd start getting mad and be like, "Well, what the fuck are you doing? Then are you gonna start throwing punches?" And he would like say shit to them while they're fighting if they weren't throwing enough punches. So, um, like I said, there was a reason he was brought over to L.A. with Gretzky. And like I like I said, if you if you look at that damn video, it's it's phenomenal. Like the the sound bites and kind of how he embraced it. And he wanted to be scary. That was it. He really wanted to be scary because that was his job. He knew his role and he liked doing it. 
Um, you know, it's unfortunate what happened with the whole Donald Brashear thing, but um, honestly, that's another testament as to why he's on the list. I know it sounds bad, but Brashear was taking liberties all night over there with, uh, was he with the Oilers? No, he was with Boston at the time. Um, when he was with Boston, he was sitting there showboating, flexing on the bench, and he gets into it as to why he did that. Uh, I still think he was actually going for his shoulder. I don't think he ever meant to hit him in the head, but if he did, you know, we'll never know. Um, so that's another reason, though, because Donald Brashear was sitting there flexing on them and running his mouth, and then he wouldn't give him a go again. And Marty had gotten beat the couple – I think they fought twice that game, either that once or twice, but he had gotten beat, and I'm sure Marty wanted to get revenge, and then that was the last straw after that was seeing Donald Brashear starting to flex and do whatever – and, um, you know, paid the price for it. Was it the greatest thing ever? No. Should it, would it ever happen again today? No. Um, and also, was it ethical? No. But got the point across, and that's exactly what Marty was there to do. And he went out the same way that he came into the league, being a fucking mean bastard and doing what he had to do. So, again, it's unfortunate that kind of it's kind of a black smudge on the game now, but that was, uh, that was Marty McSorley, and that's why you don't fuck around with Marty McSorley, and that's why he's on the list. So, next up, we have number three, getting into the top three here. And again, I think these top three, and I'm sure if, you, if you're if you a fight fan and you, you know enough about everything, I think you can probably piece together who the top three are. Um, and you could almost probably do it, like I said, 1A, 1B, and 1C. But I have him here at number three, and that is Ben Wilson. Mean motherfucker. Um, ben Wilson, uh, I, I had to do my research on him a couple years back because, you know, I, I knew about him. I didn't, I, I know a lot more about the nineties and later two thousands guys. Um, it's just a product of my environment. Cause that's kind of my, my age range. I was born in 96. So that's what I kind of know, but you go back and look at Ben Wilson fight, man. It's uh it's insane. And there was no fucking, there was no good fight, bro. You know, I'm not throwing at you when you're down and blah, blah, blah. And Ben Wilson was really kind of like the fight champ before Probert came along. And I think it was Steve from when Probert was King. I keep using him as an example because he's like a goddamn encyclopedia. So um, Steve literally, literally is a walking encyclopedia out there. But the the term champ or like the belt or whatever kind of didn't really come around until Ben Wilson came along. And he would really, really be be mean when he had to. Like if you look at the fight with, I think it's John, John Hillworth, um, it's the Flyers. That's the prime years I'm talking about because I know he had the back issues with um, – when he went to Chicago, but Ben Wilson, the Flyers was really fucking tough. Funny how the, a lot of the damn Flyers make the list. You look at the team now and it's like, who the fuck do they have to go with anybody? But yeah, it's, um, oh yeah, I'm looking at it now. Holy shit. So you look up Ben Wilson versus John Hillworth. One, he KOs him. So Hillworth is down. He KOs him and he gives him another three shots. It wasn't another one hitter quitter. It was another three shots while Hillworth is down. And you know, that's uh, you know, don't fuck with the Flyers and don't fuck with Ben Wilson. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, you don't hear the champ term until Ben Wilson came along. So he kind of started where I think it started to become more, what's the word I'm looking for? People looked at fighters more in that case, as opposed to like, you know, Oh, let's see if this heavyweight can beat this heavyweight. It wasn't just two guys getting mad at each other. And, um, although Ben Wilson, I mean, John Hillworth, he fucking tagged him and kept going on him. So there's that, (laughs) but, um, I, I forget who it was said in an interview, but basically he also played policeman to it and was uh, somebody had touched uh, who was a Bobby Clark at the time. And apparently Ben Wilson came over to him, put him against the boards and just said, you know, if you touch Bobby Clark again, I might fucking kill you tonight. 
And then he says, and then apparently he stopped. He thought that was it. And then Bilson, Ben Wilson holds him again and says, you know what? I might fucking kill you right now. And apparently let him go. So uh, that's, that's the point to get across though, man. That's it. You don't, you know, how are we going to do this? Are we going to, we're going to play fuck around all night? Or are we going to sit there and actually play some hockey? And that was what enforcers did back in the day. And that's, that's where, when it got too nice is when it kind of started going out the window with that, because it was, you could mitigate a situation by just being a fucking asshole. I know it sounds bad, but by being an asshole, that's what these guys were there for. An enforcer is technically a fucking asshole. Um, so you can mitigate a lot of the, the dumb, uh, the dumb shit, the Tom fuckery that goes around by just saying, you know, what are we going to do? And I know Tony twist was really good at saying that. Um, and all these guys were, that's what their, their whole job was. So to put Ben, I got to put Ben Wilson at number three, but I think you can make an argument for him for number one and number two, naturally. Um, number two coming up here, we have Dave Brown and one of the meanest lefties, one of the meanest dudes to ever fucking play. Uh, Dave Brown really just did not give a shit. And it's no surprise that he's on this list and how high up I have him. I, I would expect him to be at least top three on anybody's list, even in terms of just fighting Ben, not Ben Wilson, sorry, Ben Wilson as well. But Dave Brown, some of the best fighters that the NHL has ever seen. So Dave Brown, I mean, we all see what we, excuse me. We all saw what happened with him and uh, Sandstrom put his, uh, put his coho right across his fucking face when he took an extra swing at the goalie. So, uh, and he always see the legendary clip of, um, oh, who was it? Him and him and Tim Hunter. And he's going over there and he's talking shit to their tough guy. And of course, Tim Hunter, he's going, Hey, Timmy, he got them fucking gloves cemented on. <laughs> so just going at it. And like they said, another meaningless game in Alberta. And that was when Dave Brown was with the Oilers at that point. But I think the Dave Brown prime years were like much like Ben Wilson was with the flyers. Um, and he was not afraid to hit you when you were down. I mean, you can look up the fight with him and Jim Kite. And Kite was, I think he was in his prime then still. Kite, believe it or not, Jim Kite, I know, getting a little sidetracked here. But fuck, Jim Kite was tough, man. I know people know the Rob Ray knockout or the um, the Joey Kosher one. But goddamn, Kite was fucking tough. He was actually rolling through the league at that point. But I think this might have been a little bit later after that. It was when Kite was with uh, Calgary. And so, excuse me for not knowing my my knowledge back then. Again, that my my... my Old time hockey knowledge in terms of like the eighties and stuff kind of gets foggy, so I apologize for my my older listeners out there if I'm kind of getting my stuff mixed up. I do apologize, but Dave Brown, man, Jim Kite threw one punch while he was uh because I think they went down already. And again, this is the guy who was already down. He's got Dave Brown on top of him. The balls to sit there and throw at Dave Brown when you're when he's on top of you. I mean, insane. Um, there was no oh fights over. Nope, fucking a. They just kept swinging at it just like that. It kept going, and Dave Brown sitting there fucking whacking him and whacking him while they're down on the ice. But that was Dave Brown for you, man. Um, and he wasn't scared to do all that shit. And he fought Chris Nyland in the pregame brawl, infamous pregame uh, brawl between the Flyers and the the Canadians. Dave Brown goes out there, get his message across, fucking tarps off and everything. Excuse me. And there's that picture of him and uh him and Nyland. And Nyland's kind of, kind of looking there like, oh fuck! Like you see, you see the look in Chris's face, and because it's of course this is the shirtless Dave Brown we're talking here. It's not uh, he doesn't have anything to grab onto. And Nyland actually did pretty well for having having Dave Brown uh, shirtless out there fighting against him. But one of the meanest lefties, and that's just that's the shit he would do, man. It didn't he didn't give a shit. There was no code. There was none of that. Um, I remember Chris saying that was like the most tired he's ever played a game. Like he said, it was just exhausting. He could barely hold his stick because he'd gotten in all those pregame fights and then ended up having to go Dave Brown and was almost like holding on for dear life because it's like riding a bull when Dave Brown's got no shirt. Right. So, uh, I remember Chris saying he could barely hold his fucking stick at the end of that game. (laughs) So, um, got to give it to Dave Brown at number two and number one, 
is there really any surprise? Do, do, do we all know who was going to be it? Uh, no other than Bob Probert. Who, who else could it be, right? So Bob Probert, of course, legendary enforcer, legendary tough guy. Everybody talks about him like he's the best. Um, you know, just the fight fans, but not only them, the players themselves who were involved and, you know, played against or played with Bob Probert all call him the greatest enforcer of all time. So it's really hard to say that he's not. And what more could you want from a guy? He put up a pl- plenty of points, played a regular shift, and was also the heavyweight champ in the league for a long time and was often the measuring stick. Even even up until he, you know, got out of the league, a lot of guys still wanted to fight him because he was still still that tough. I know his Chicago years towards the, le- uh, the later part of his career – um, started going down a little bit, but you know it's just what happens when you fight that hard and that often. You know, age and age and the body will catch up with you real quick. So, uh, but Bob Probert, man, what more can you say about him? The dude was—he didn't give a shit. There was no good fight or whatever. And if you ever beat Probert, he was coming back, and he would—he would let everybody know real quick, like exactly what was going on. Everybody knew what was going to happen in that Domi and Probert rematch when uh, New York and um, New York and Detroit played again. He wasn't afraid to run goalies. Um, he'd fucking punch the mask off of Brasso in the fight. I forget who it was that went after Eisenman. I can't think of it, but he sat there. Brasso went over to try to, oh, no, no, let's calm down, guys. Fucking Probert looked at him, punched the mask straight off his face. Not a, No glove on either, if I recall. No glove on, just bare knuckle, punched the fucking mask off Brasso. And Brasso was like, okay, I'm going to step back now. <laughs> and it's like, it's the fucking greatest, man. And so you, you go down, and the dude's finally on the ice, and Probert's just looking. He's like a shark. He's like sitting there just looking and looking. He's like, I'm going to, you know, I'll show you for fucking running Iserman. Cause that's what it was. The guy fought Iserman. I can't think of it um, off the top of my head. I got to look it up here of who it was. As soon as I see it, I'm going to be pissed off. Uh, Maguire, that's who it was, of course. Fucking idiot. Um, but Maguire's finally down in the pile and Probert's just sitting there looking and looking and looking, waiting for his shot. And finally he sees an opportunity and then he just bends down and just fucking one hands him with the, uh, with the right hand down underneath the pile. And I mean, that, that, that's the, if that doesn't speak the definition of an enforcer, I don't know what does. I know some newer fans just don't get it. And they'll kind of look at this like it's fucking taboo or archaic, which it, maybe it is now. If you look at it now, you, it's like a completely different game. But that's just how it was back then, man. You had guys who would who were tough. That's that was that was the whole reason. That's why I, I love the argument like, oh, we need Tom Wilson to protect other players from Tom Wilson. Um, and I'm just using that as a newer school example. But the whole reason is because people will always take liberties. If there's a, especially if there's not a tough guy on the team. We see it now. Fucking today, you still see it. And not every team has a Tom Wilson, so what I thought I thought that was supposed to solve the problem was taking all the enforcers out, right? Um but no, so yeah, Bob Probert. I mean, it's got to be—he's got to be number one, right? It'd be—it'd be criminal not to have him there. Um, and I was fortunate enough. I encourage you to go back and check out my Bob Probert special I did. It was on the anniversary—was it the anniversary of his death or his birthday? I think it was his birthday. Um, but I had on Fourth Line Voice, and I had on his wife, Danny Probert. Uh, we sat there and spoke about uh, some of Bob's fights and what it was like being the the wife of a of an NHL enforcer. Um, so I encourage you to go check that out. It was a lot of fun doing that episode. That was over a year ago now. Holy shit, feel old. But anyways, that is my top 10 NHL enforcers of all time. I know I'm sure gonna, I'm, I'm sure it's going to ruffle some feathers and people are going to motherfuck me if they actually listen. And you're a fucking idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Why wasn't Bob Gassoff or Nick Fatiu on here and blah, blah, blah. And I say, like, yeah, fuck off. So yeah, like I said, uh, these people always want to say run, run their mouth on shit. If you want to make a go, go ahead and make a list and, you know, send it out for the world to see, by all means, please go ahead. So, um, 
But that's going to do it here, folks. I hope you enjoy the top 10 list. I hope I didn't piss anybody off too, too bad. And I, I hope it, it made sense as far as like the parameters I set for being a, a, an enforcer as opposed to a fighter. Um, and I, I do think there's an actual difference. And being a good fighter doesn't make you a good enforcer. So I hope that made sense to people and people kind of understand where I'm coming from here. But I think that's a solid top 10 list. I would love to do an actual top 10 fighters of all time list in the NHL. And on the other side of that, I would like to do a top 10 enforcers for the minor for minor leagues, you know, from all different leagues, whether it's the LNH, um, the CHL, the Whipple. Uh, UHL, which that's the thing. There's so many different leagues you can do, but a lot of the times the guys played in interchange leagues. So um, I'd like to do a top 10 fighters of minor league guys. I'd like to do a top 10 enforcer list of minor league guys down the road. So be on the lookout for that. I'm going to try to get more content out for you guys. Uh, like I said, this month is very busy for me. Next weekend, I finally, finally have our damn wedding. Me and the wife are so over this. I know you're you know, the wife. You're already married. Yeah, we were supposed to be married at this, uh, our initial Ceremony was supposed to be at this fucking uh, this venue, but with COVID and everything, it's been delayed. We've been planning this thing since 2018, so absolutely insane. We both kind of can't wait for it to get, can't wait for it to be over because we're tired of planning it. And I say we as if I've done so much. It's more so my wife. So bless her for fucking putting everything together. And um, you know, I've kind of just picked like fucking flowers and food. <laughs> it's been my extent for this. So really hard at work here. Um, so I'll try to keep up with that. I got that going on next week. And then the following week, I'm in Iowa. I really like to get an episode with Jay up there. Jay, I know you're listening. I think we're going to do a top 10 Mallard tough guys list. Um, and it's going to be throughout their entire existence. It's not just going to be like from when they were in the UHL. It's going to be from the start of the, the Colonial League, the UHL, and the IHL. And I think they were in the CHL for like two years. And then they went to the East Coast before disbanding and then becoming the Quad City Storm out in the SPHL. So... I, I am looking forward to doing that with Jay and getting that out there. I think that'll be a lot of fun, um, you know, reminiscing on that. I think we're going to end up drinking a lot of whiskey, so I'm sure that episode's just going to be like a fucking car crash. But that's the, all part of the good fun. So, um, yeah. Anyways, guys, if you want to follow the podcast, go check out Five for Fighting Podcast. You can look it up on any social media, and it'll pull up right away. I encourage you to follow the podcast. It'll stay up to date with everything. You'll see me bitching and moaning about plays, or I'll upload fights, too, even on my YouTube channel. Go search Five for Fighting Podcast. You'll find it on my YouTube channel. And if you want to keep up with the episodes as well, and you want to listen on YouTube, if this isn't, you know, if you're listening by, by chance, but you, you prefer YouTube, you can go check out Six Pack Coverage. All my episodes are uploaded on there. Well, not all of them, but like you know, starting from when I signed with them. So episode 60 and beyond will be on there. Um, they upload it on the YouTube for me. And also, uh, if you want to follow them on Twitter, you can. So please rate and review the show. It'll help the show grow a lot. And I look forward to talking with everybody again next week. So be on the lookout for that. I'm not sure exactly what the topic is going to be, but I'll figure something out. But anyways, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the top 10 list. And let me know what you guys thought of it. Tomorrow.